Eric, I want to apologize to you. <laughs> and maybe the fan base of the Utah Jazz. I am at least partially responsible because at each moment in which I thought the Jazz were going to be playing the Portland Trailblazers and thus have a much easier route to the second round, uh, I had hope. I had hope Tuesday night when uh, it seemed you know the Thunder were losing by 14 to the Rockets in the fourth quarter. And once again, I had hope when they were down when they were down four with 30 seconds left and, and the Rockets had the ball. I had hope when the Lakers had two points, a two-point lead with 45 seconds left. I had hope. God, I had so much hope when the Portland Trailblazers were losing by 28 when they were starting Anthony Simons, Gary Trent Jr., uh, Myers Leonard, uh, I, I, I'm Scal Labissier. Uh, and playing those guys 48 minutes while losing by 28 to the Sacramento Kings at half, I thought that that was probably meant that they were trying to lose that game, and indeed they were trying to lose that game, and they even failed at that task. And Eric, I had hope when the Denver Nuggets were up 11 with three and a half minutes left to go, when their win probability was 98.7%. When the Wolves were up Sorry, the Wolves were up. 11, whatever. Against and the Nuggets. Against the Nuggets. And the Nuggets immediately went on a 15-0 run, which is so dumb. And then... Probably, probably not to them. No, not to them. Uh, and, and, you know, then, finally then, my hope was, was slashed. I booked a hotel at halftime of the Blazers-Kings game last night in Portland. I am sorry about that. I... I apparently assumed that a team that was trying to lose and was down by 25 would lose, but apparently that is assuming too much. Uh, yeah. Um, clearly, you should have spent more time like watching old reruns on TNT. You would have undoubtedly come across the Shawshank Redemption, and then you could have heard uh, Red imparting the immortal advice, hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. Yeah. Yeah, yep. I think start, I think that's what we've learned. Never hope. <laughs> yeah, just just don't do it. Life is uh, bleak and desolate and uh, bound to lead to disappointment. And the sooner you accept that, the better off we'll all be. Um, Welcome into the weekly run. <laughs> Hey, Andy, I, I, just, oh, I, just, you... I just got an email. Uh, don't forget to book your trip Salt Lake City to Portland. Grab your low fare now. Should I go ahead and No, you should not, Eric. That? Yeah, you should delete that. Okay, I'll delete that. And it's gone. Okay. I'm Andy Larson. This is Eric Walden. We are both the Utah Jazz beat writers for the Salt Lake Tribune. We're coming at you uh, one day after the Jazz learn that they will indeed play the Houston Rockets in the first round here. Uh, and, and honestly, our, our pessimism comes not only from the, the Jazz-Rockets matchup, which we will talk about uh, in great detail during the course of this podcast, but also the fact that we would have rather stayed in Portland, which is a nicer city with a walkable downtown and lots of interesting things to do and some beautiful serenity and, and trees and nature and wildlife. And Houston is a sprawling, uh, okay, I don't want, I can't use the word I want to use. Uh, it is a bad place to live. It is a strange city in that it has no zoning laws, um, which is a fun, like, 
uh, way to do a city. And, and so as a result, anything can be put anywhere at any time. So like you could, you could have a strip club next to an elementary school. Oh, and good news, kids. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know if there's got to be a rule against that, at least. I don't know. Maybe not. It does have more, quote unquote, massage parlors that engage in illegal activity, according to a 2010 Houston Chronicle uh, report, than it does grocery stores. So, so this is great. Small diversionary uh, yeah, question. Up? When is the next time Houston hosts the Super Bowl so that uh, Robert Kraft can... <laughs> that was too easy of a joke, and I will not dignify it with a laugh. Um, you know you appreciate it on nope, the inside. I did not. I can see your eyes smiling. Uh, uh, my eyes. <laughs> Don't smile. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, that's so that's kind of why I, I think we had the hope of Portland, and it is uh, turned to great disappointment with this Houston layout. But I, I also think that it is very, very bad for the Utah Jazz. Um and for the reasons that we saw the Jazz lose in five games to the Rockets last year, pretty much all of those reasons remain. Um, and I get that they that fans want to have some optimism, and there are reasons for optimism, and that Ricky Rubio looks likely to, to be playing in this series, whereas he did not play at all uh, in last year's second round. Um, the Rockets no longer have Trevor Ariza, uh, who guarded Donovan Mitchell really well. But the more I look at this series and the more I dig into it, and, and to give you some background, I watched a couple of games uh, this morning getting ready for this. I've gone through a lot of the stats that I like to look at to figure out what's going on with, with the matchup. Um, and to kind of answer the questions of how this series is different than last year, I'm, I'm finding fewer and fewer threads to, to kind of catch on to. Um, so, for example, Ricky Rubio has had not had a good series against the Houston Rockets, or not had a good season against the Houston Rockets this year. Um, there was one game, and it was the, the third game of the series, kind of the, the closest one, uh, where the Jazz lost by five. You may remember the James Harden travel was the uh, big play in that game uh, that, that ended up leading to a Ricky Rubio foul. Uh, he, that was his best game out of the four, but in terms of, uh, in terms of the other ones, uh, it's, it's been kind of disappointing. You know, he's, he's averaged just 8.8 .8 points a game, 4.0 assists per game. Uh, only shooting 31% from the floor in those four matchups against the Rockets. So I don't know that having Ricky Rubio back necessarily is going to, to save you here in any uh, significant way. And, uh, and we should point out two of those matchups did not include Chris Paul playing. So, I mean, it'd be one thing to say, oh, well, Ricky struggled against, like, one of the best perimeter defending point guards in NBA history. But, like, in two of those games, Chris Paul wasn't even playing and. Yeah, still put up those numbers. So and, and honestly, that's, that's a little discouraging. I don't think Chris Paul's there as a defender still. Yeah. Um, I think he's decent. I don't think he's great. Yeah. Uh, Not the same level as he used to be, for sure. I and I do think Ricky did a nice job on James Harden when he's defending him, and I do think Ricky Rubio will be the primary defender on James Harden, uh, at least to start games. And, and honestly, I wouldn't be surprised to finish them either. Uh, but as far as what he brings to kind of the offensive flow, uh, it's it's I don't think it's going to be pretty. Um, I, you know, I just because, and it makes sense, honestly, if it were just four games and this were a small sample size thing, you know, that'd be one thing, but this, it makes sense that he struggled against these two teams or against this team, because, uh, when they switch and they switch all their screens and they switch all their handoffs and everything else, 
Ricky Rubio is not the kind of guy that has an advantage that can kind of break you down in, in the half court or whatever if if with a smaller or bigger opponent on him. And so it, it just doesn't uh, it doesn't really help you offensively in the way that you, you might expect oh, and in, in the way Ricky Rubio can against other teams. So your suspicion is all these people who point to last year's 4-1 to second-round defeat at the hands of the Houston Rockets and put the caveat in, well, if only we had had Ricky Rubio, you suspect that this year's series will kind of uh, show probably wouldn't have made that much of a difference. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think there will be uh, – that's not going to be the biggest element or the fifth biggest element to the series. But, yeah, I, I don't think that it's uh, – I think that will no longer be a compelling reason after this this and, and the series. And, and Ricky's had a good season, and I, I, I like Ricky. I think he can do some nice things for you, but this is this is not a good matchup for him. Yeah, um, yeah. As we've seen, and and looking at the numbers, you know, just the sheer amount of times that the Jazz have had to play point guard or had to play without Ricky Rubio as the point guard this year, had to slide Donovan over. We've established the offense doesn't run as smoothly without Ricky Rubio, so he is, you know, critically important to what they do. But yeah, not but so much. But he's important uh, in the way that he makes the offense flow, right? And, and Houston disrupts and that all that flow, yeah. Anyway. Which is which is what I was getting to. So thank you for concluding Sorry. that. Jeez, right. Andy. I wanted to interrupt and show I'm, how smart I am. I could tell. We uh, know. <laughs> we um, know. We're aware. The other thing is Donovan Mitchell has not had his four best games against the Houston Rockets. Again, there was one good game in there. Uh, but really, you look at the averages, and it's not like he's killing the Rockets. It's it's 23 points a game, which is nice. It's 40% shooting, though, 26% from three. Uh, he only has – he's got 26 free throws against Rockets in four games. That's So that's, what, a six and a half a game. That's about what he normally does. I think it, he's normally at five and a half per game. Um, so, it, you know, I don't know that he's – you would think, okay, if you're playing against a switching defense, Donovan Mitchell's going to end up with the ball in his hands more and create more and do more, and that hasn't really bared itself out in the course of the four games uh, that, that the Jazz have played. Yeah, I, it was, what, the first matchup between the teams this season that uh, Donovan had his huge game? I want to say he had uh, 38 points and seven assists, mm-hmm. I think, Um and yeah, after that, really just kind of not having great numbers against them. I want to say in one of the subsequent matchups, he may have been held to 10 points, maybe even single digits, like nine points, something like that. Just Yeah, he was held to six points, in fact. Six in, points, wow. Uh, and that was actually the Jazz win, the 27-point win. So that was, um, that was game two of their four matchups. Correct. Okay. So, I, I, you know, I don't read into that. That's If yeah. you score six points but you're a plus 16 and your team wins by 27 points, that's great. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that game is super notable because they uh, were, were kind of injured then. Uh, and uh, what else was there? Was some some other weird thing happened in that game that uh, I you know I, I don't know. No Rudy Honestly, in that game, right? That's right. That was the uh, no Rudy Gobert. Uh, no, yeah, Rudy Gobert uh, gets ejected two minutes into the game, yeah. and everything and weird things happen. Which hey, maybe that happens again. Maybe like all you need is weird <laughs> emotional stuff. But I, I thought the Rockets kind of like shut down that game in, in a kind of a weird way. Yeah, so the really interesting thing is um, the Jazz won the first two matchups of the season against the Rockets. The Rockets won the next two. And honestly, Houston at the end of the season bears 
little resemblance to Houston at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I mean, they're 20-4 and four, um, in their last 20-4 and four games. They've got three um, losses. Three of those four losses are by two points or one point, and then the other remaining losses against the Milwaukee Bucks, the best team in, in the league. Um, I watched some of that game because I was curious, okay, how do you beat the Rockets, right? And I do think there's some good stuff there. I, I thought what they did in defending James Harden in what the, the, just having either George Hill or Eric Bledsoe stay on his left shoulder, even letting him drive, was kind of brilliant in saying, okay, look, you have the best step-back three ever. We're not going to let you have it. We're going to let you become a driver, and then we're going to have Brooke Lopez step up and uh, make make you take a floater, basically. So at, at that point, he, he went 5 of 8 on floaters, but... He knows that the floater is not the most efficient shot and look to get his teammates involved. And that's when it may be the one James Harden offensive weakness, and there aren't many, is that when he does pass, he can be a little bit turnover prone. It's, uh, he's, you know, it's 33rd percentile in terms of turnover percentage for a, a player at his position. Now, uh, that's pretty good given how many possessions he use and, uh, uses and how much attention the defense has on him. But... Uh, maybe that's the one way where you can kind of get, uh, you can kind of limit what he does a little bit. And, and I think the Jazz will do that. They did that to some degree in these four matchups, forcing James Harden right. They weren't on his hip quite like the Milwaukee Bucks are, were, and I wonder if they'll, they'll try that. Yeah, that would be kind of a fascinating development to see. I mean, obviously with a few days now to kind of game plan for the Rockets, It'll be interesting to see what they bust out for, for game one. And then to kind of see what the plan is going forward to make the adjustments. Um, that Milwaukee strategy was fascinating just because, as you mentioned, Harden with the step back three is just, it's such a killer move. It's such a killer play. Uh, I mean, James Harden, unassisted three-pointers is just like next level. I I ran across, I ran across uh, this list of, the most unassisted three-pointers in a season in NBA history. Fifth place was Kemba Walker this year, made 146. Fourth place, Steph Curry, 2015-16, made 177. Third place, James Harden, 16-17, 179. Second place, James Harden last season, 196. First place, James Harden this season, 317. That's how many he made? Yes. Holy cow. Unassisted three-pointers. 317 this season. Uh, second place was him last season with 196. So it's like, wow, that's how lethal that's crazy. He's been hitting. I mean, that's hitting three pointers this year. That's like the fifth highest season of all time on non unassisted threes, or on like overall threes, right? Like, yeah, that's that's crazy. And I he never actually takes assisted threes, which I think is kind of funny. Like. Uh, do you remember that stretch of games he had earlier on in the year where there were like four games in a row where none of his points were assisted and he still scored 40 yeah, points in right. every game? Just um, crazy. <laughs> he turned down some shots because he wanted that streak to keep going, which was kind of funny. Like yeah. his teammates were driving kick to James Harden. And he was like, yeah, no, I don't I'm think gonna, I'm going to dribble a little bit. But uh, still, I mean, that's, that's again, like nothing we've ever seen, not by a little bit, but by like 50% or more. It'd be like if Rudy Gobert were dunking 12 times a game. Yeah, it's it's insane. Um, wow. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> uh, James Harden's crazy. 
I do think the Jazz did like a pretty decent job on him last year. Uh, and you look at how he progressed throughout that series. There was kind of the game one where the Jazz had no preparation. They retired from the the uh, series that came before the Oklahoma City series, and he scored, I believe, it was thirty six or thirty eight points. Uh, but then after that, he shot after over under fifty percent in every subsequent game, and kind of got worse and worse from a a percentage point of view. Um, and it was really Chris Paul that kind of took the took the lead in that series and was the reason that the the Rockets were able to win Game 5, for example. I think Game 3 or Game 4, they win either way. You know, they won by 20 points. Those yep. were blowout wins. Um, game 5 was closer, and it was really Chris Paul just making all, all sorts of crazy shots. And in particular, what makes Chris Paul a tough guard is, especially for the Jazz, is, you know, the Jazz like to re- take away your three-point shots and your layups. And so Chris Paul can take advantage of that space and make... Uh, mid-range jump shots. So I was curious. He is shooting worse overall this year. Um, instead of 46% from the field, he's down to 41.9%. Instead of a 38% from three, he's down to 35% from three. But if you just look at what he's doing from mid-range, and again, that's a danger area for the Utah Jazz, it hasn't changed at all. He's 55% from 16 feet to the three-point line. 55% on those mid-range shots. I mean, that's that's bonkers. And for the second consecutive season. Um, so, uh, again, kind of what you thought may have been a reason for optimism, which is this Chris Paul slippage, is, isn't really there. Now, I do think that you can scout Chris Paul. Chris Paul never takes layups anymore. It's really weird. Yeah. You'll watch him go to, all the way to the rim, and every single time he will pass it out. Uh, to give you an idea, he only took 8% of his shots from 0 to 3 feet this year. And I don't know how many of those were like in transition, so I shouldn't say never takes layups, but if you're only taking 8% of your shots as layups, that gives you a kind of good idea of how reluctant he is to take them. And it makes sense because he takes mid-range, he makes mid-range shots at the same rate as he makes the layups. Why, why bother with all the, the extra dribbling <laughs> and whatnot, you know? Yeah, it's inefficient, really. Yeah. Um, but so I, I'm curious to see how the Jazz defend Chris Paul, if they have Rudy Gobert continuing to drop off in, in the paint a little bit, or if they let him turn the quarter and then Rudy Go- is Gobert is going to surprise him. The problem with that strategy is, is Chris Paul is so good at drawing fouls is you can get him up in the air. Uh, and if, if you get Rudy Gobert to bite, which he honestly might on this kind of stuff, uh, then you're, you're talking about getting your best defender and, and you know, you're one of your superstars in, in foul trouble. So that's going to be a problem for the Jazz. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that really will be interesting to watch. I mean, one of the one of the things that really stood out to me last year from last year's playoff series was the degree to which Rudy had trouble containing Clint Capella. I mean, the, the Rockets just present so many problems uh, f- for you defensively. You know, your your defense going up against their offense. Yeah. I should say. You know, you've got Harden, who's got options, and this year added an incredible mid range floater. To his arsenal you know so he's got that chris paul incredible in the mid-range you know if rudy's stepping out to cont- you know try to stop them all of a sudden the lob to capella is available um just yeah so many different options there for right. houston to kind of wreak havoc on on what the jazz like to do and again that may have been something where i before before looking into it a little bit, it would have been like, okay, this might be an advantage that the Jazz have over last season is is that the the supporting cast isn't as good, right? Like they don't have the Trevor Ariza, maybe Chris Paul has slipped, maybe PJ Tucker's not quite as good as last year, et cetera, et cetera. And then you you look at how their supporting cast has actually played, and especially over the last 
uh, you know, 25 games really since the All-Star break. And while they've had a somewhat easier schedule, it hasn't been as easy as the Utah Jazz's. Uh, they've been playing phenomenally. I mean, Eric Gordon looked to be struggling at the beginning of the year, and he has absolutely turned it back on again, uh, shooting 40% overall, 36% from three. Uh, he's been very, very good since the All-Star break. Daniel House, who I don't know, I think a lot of people don't know, uh, was a G League player at the beginning of the season. They called him up and has played a huge role for them, not only in his ability to make threes. He's not just a, a stand-there-and-shoot guy, although he does shoot uh, 66% of his shots as three-point shots, makes 41% of them. But he is able to actually kind of attack those closeouts at times too, which means you have to stay attached to him as a shooter, but you can't just like crazily close out against him either. Um, he's been a really big part of what they do. It, it may be a little bit of a weakness defensively, but but not much of one that you can really attack. Um, and Austin Rivers is having a bad year, and yet he still can do kind of Austin Riversy things and has had... Uh, of the of the portions of his season, he's uh, had the best. When he spent time with, I think it's three teams this year. Definitely the best part of his season, the forty seven games with the Houston Rockets. Yeah, I mean, leave it to Daryl Morey to wind up. You know, everyone's been talking about how the Houston bench is not as good this year as it was last year. I mean, you had last year you had Trevor Reza, which enabled you to bring PJ Tucker off the bench. This year, P.J. Tucker's been starting because no Trevor Ariza. Everyone's like, oh, Houston's bench, not as good. And then you see Daryl Morey make moves like bringing in an Austin Rivers, bringing in a uh, Manimal, what's his name? Uh, Kenneth Freed. Uh, Kenneth Freed, yeah. Even even the house move. I mean, this was a guy who was a two-way player and was so good that they reached the limit. You know, they reached the limit on the number of games he was supposed to be eligible to play for the Rockets and then had to work out some kind of negotiation in order to keep him with, you know, the the NBA club for the rest of the year because he was that productive in his time. Um, and at yeah, first it looked I mean, like they weren't going to be able to, and then they, they ended up yeah, working they, it they, out. Yeah, they kind of they lowballed, they lowballed him at first. They're like, all right, we'll give you – we'll make you a three-year deal – an offer of a three-year deal for a minimum NBA salary. And he very rightly said, no thanks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because, you know, if he had just become an NBA free agent, he would have topped that offer on the on the mark, on the the open market this year. And, hey, give Daryl Morey credit for being like, hey, uh, you know, uh, Carmelo Anthony's not working out. James Ennis had, had a really bad season. Yeah. Uh, Nene is kind of struggling, is up and down, has injuries. Michael Carter-Williams isn't contributing what we thought. Uh, Marquise Chris is terrible. Okay, they should have expected that, but you know, yep. they thought maybe he might be able to contribute. Contribute. Take a chance on a former lottery. Guy. Brandon Knight, they thought maybe he was going to be okay, mm-hmm. uh, and instead he shot twenty three percent for the year. Um, you know, all, they have a lot of guys who would be like, okay, these are these guys have all disappointed all at once. Uh, and what they did is just they changed their rotation. They weren't afraid to be like, all right, you know, Melo, you suck. Let's let's wave you. Let's cut you. Yeah. Ten games in. Goodbye. Um, I think it, it says a lot that they were willing to say, okay, that experiment did not work ten games in. And, and bring in someone like a House, like a Fareed, uh, and even like an Amon Shumpert who's done some nice things for them recently. And, uh, yeah. And, yeah, and I think Fareed, you, you Fareed had a very nice game against the Jazz in one of those games where Capella was out, you know. Yep. Fareed comes in and... I think his playing time was limited because he was in foul trouble, but in something like 20 minutes of action, he had like 16 points and 13 boards or something ridiculous like that, you know? So just, they they constantly, yeah, they, they, they adjusted to what wasn't working and found 
found a way to bring in guys who did work better. And it's been interesting because they haven't, they've been playing Nene Hilario over, Hilario, Nene doesn't have a last name anymore. He changed that like a decade ago. But uh, Nene has been playing over Kenneth Freed again. So now yeah. Freed is back to kind of the, being the, the, the third center. And in fact, he didn't play against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Neither did Shumpert. But again, it's, it's kind of the, the options that they have. And you can see uh, what what that's done for them. You know, if only, for example, they would have won, scored two more points against the Oklahoma City Thunder, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. <gasps> oh, Andy. Um, I guess it is encouraging to see how quickly you've come around uh, on the on the not having any hope kind of a thing. That that's that's the vibe I get after <laughs> after I've learned, uh, t- I've learned not discussing to the hope. numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so well I mean, played. A little bit. Like. Uh, I'm trying to come up. I, th- I think your your hope is that Donovan is at another level than what he was at the beginning of the year when, when in the four matchups that they played. I think your hope is that Rudy Gobert is more uh, is much better at guarding the perimeter and the mid range. As as Quinn Snyder put it to me the other day, he's uh, he's really contesting more and different kinds of shots than he did last season, and so that makes it harder for Chris Paul to score in the mid range. Um, and, and then maybe this new Milwaukee tactic of m- literally making James Harden into a driver and just making him score layups, which sounds crazy, but that's literally what they did, uh, may be something to adopt to look at to try and see if that's enough to, to turn the defensive end into not only just a, a struggle for the Houston Rockets, but something that they really can't, can't get around. Uh, because I don't think that there's any way that the Jazz win this matchup if you know we're we're talking about scores in the 110s, 120s on a night-to-night basis. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right there. I think they're going to have to come up with a way to kind of limit the damage that uh, Houston's backcourt does. And then, yeah, you need you need production, consistent production from Donovan. And God, if you can get some consistent production from Joe Ingles, from Ricky Rubio, from you know, Derek Favors, whoever, you yeah. know, light, lighten the load a little bit. Okay, okay, uh, I'll go into a couple more points of optimism because okay. you, you made me think of some. Um, That's what you, I'm here for, Andy. If you are doing the Milwaukee, Eric Bledsoe, George Hill strategy of taking away James Harden's step back, making him into a driver, I think it might be, you may be able to find a role for Derek Favors. Um, and in particular... If, if you have Rudy Gobert stepping up in that, then maybe you can have Derek Favors guarding P.J. Tucker and kind of come in off the wing to prevent Clint Capella to come down uh, from you know being open for that dunk at that dunker spot. And, and then you kind of are, are giving up P.J. Tucker and, and his, admittedly his ability to hit threes at a 38% rate. Um, but I, I think that still may be something that, that might be able to work in order to get Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert out on the floor at the same time. Because we... Haven't seen that, you know. Honestly, in those minutes last year, the Jazz were just torched, um, and, and there just hasn't been a way to get those two guys on the floor together yeah. against the Rockets. Maybe that's the way you can make it work. I don't, I don't know. You know, honestly, that's a that might even be a long shot, but we'll we'll see. Um, you may have. Uh, that's the other problem is Faves. You know that Ingles Favors pick and roll is so good and so important for the Jazz, and if they switch it. It's it's much much harder. Like I, I don't know that that's a that's that's a terrible thing for the Jazz. Honestly, <laughs> if Ingles favors pick and roll, because that's just not a matchup that you really win switches on. Maybe you can say if you can keep favors and Gobert on the floor out there for you know 18 minutes a game, and and that's a lot. 
maybe you start to own the the defensive and offensive glass a little bit, and maybe you can start to uh, make their take advantage of your own misses on the switches. You know, I don't know if you remember this. I, I did this article before the season began on how the Jazz spent a lot of their summer trying to figure out how to attack switching defense. Yeah, I remember. And so you can do it in, I had six different ways. <laughs> and one of these ways was, hey, you can attack the offensive glass and just win that way. You know, once you get the switch, ha- you, you, you even have the guard take the shot, but Derek Favors or Rudy Gobert is going to be down there on a small getting that rebound. Um, and that might be something that the Jazz can do so long as they can keep Fave and Gobert on the floor at the same time on, on the defensive end, which is something that uh, they haven't been able to do, right? Yep. So maybe that's that's something. I know I'm just like kind of talking through it. I do think that the Jazz are, are better at attacking switching defenses than last year. Maybe Ricky Rubio's tendency of drawing fouls will be useful with regards to that. Um, and in particular, he's he's good at drawing offensive fouls too. I've noticed James Harden, I mean, this won't shock anybody, but James Harden uses his off-arm a lot to create space for himself, especially, again, when teams are doing the Milwaukee thing. So maybe if Ricky flops, uh, maybe you get a cheap offense foul call, maybe you get Harden out of the game, maybe things change a little bit for you. Uh, The number of maybes I've said over the last two minutes should indicate... Uh, that the, none of this is certain, but like you know, I, I think you're you are kind of grasping for straws a little bit here, and because the Houston Rockets are just that bad of a matchup for the Jazz. Your uh, your optimism is as bright as Portland in springtime. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the other okay, I, I was thinking about that. How much do you think that uh, like okay, let's say the Jazz lose in five. Yep. You know, and and honestly, I don't think that's crazy. The Jazz could lose in five. They lost in five last year. Yeah, you're getting Ricky back. Uh, yeah, they don't have Trevor Reza. So let's you know, let's say it's six. Uh, let's say you know, let's say it's seven. Does is does that measurably hurt your franchise to when compared to a, a likely second round or sorry a, a second round appearance, a first round win against the Portland Trailblazers? Do you think that it changes what would have happened in the off season? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting you bring that up because that's something that uh, I'm touching upon in our ah. in, in a story in our for our upcoming jazz what a good playoffs tease. section preview. It's almost like you knew I was writing something like that. I maybe. did. Um, I did not have that in mind when I asked the question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it it's interesting because I mean, yeah, it's like it, all season long, Quinn Snyder's mantra has been. Our goal is to maximize the potential of the guys who we have here, right? And it's like, well, how do you define that? Like, a lot of people are looking at it from the perspective of we've made it to the Western Conference semifinals for two consecutive seasons. And so, ideally, they'd like to surpass that, right? Or, like, at the very least, equal it and optimally surpass it, make it to the Western Finals, make it to the NBA Finals. Um here you are matched up against the Houston Rockets in the first round. It's a 4-5 series, but uh, I think we can all agree Houston at its peak is probably the second best team in the Western Conference. Yeah. Um, and so, like, yeah, how do, you, how do you define that level of maximizing talent, of, of maximizing what's here? Do you, how do you define progress? Because it's like you brought back – virtually all of last year's roster counting on internal development to help you progress further uh you wound up with the you wound up with the same you know you got a few more regular season wins but you wind up with the same exact playoff seed 
and you wind up maybe being eliminated by the very same team two years in a row, albeit one round earlier this year. So, um, like, does that mean that you regressed? I don't think they regressed. No, but like, there's, you know, there there are optics involved, and from some people's perspective, the optics are going to be this season was kind of a letdown and a disappointment if it winds up with a first-round elimination at the hands of the Houston Rockets. Yeah, and, and again, like I, I actually do think that the Jazz are probably the third most dangerous team in, in the playoffs. Uh, they may be the third best team in the West, honestly. I, I think uh, you look at point differential and, and things like that, and you can really make a case for the Jazz over the, the Nuggets and the Blazers. And uh, you know, that you, you didn't win those extra games that you needed obviously is important. But, um, and maybe it kind of depends if free agents are going to listen to that or not. And, and honestly, that's, that's probably a personal thing, you know? Like, if you, if you make the point differential case to Kemba Walker, does he buy it or does he just look at the first-round loss? And I, I, I don't know. Yeah, you know? That's, I, that's an interesting question because in a lot of people's minds, they equate you know, how deep you make it into the playoffs with your ability to potentially entice, you know, like, for instance, as you just met, since you just threw his name out there, at Kemba yeah. Walker. You know, here, here's a guy who's played in Charlotte his entire career. Charlotte missed the playoffs this year, and there's a lot of speculation that he may be tired of the fact that, like, the Hornets have consistently put a mediocre roster around him, and he's looking for a situation where he doesn't have to do so much of it by himself, where he can step into a team where they've got a good system and they've got good talent surrounding them. And, oh, my goodness, could Utah be that team? And then people fear, well, we've been on an upward trajectory. You know, we've been steadily building up the course of this franchise, second round, second round, and then all of a sudden, oh, no, eliminated in the first round. And Kemba looks at that and says, well, are they really that much better off than the Charlotte Hornets? Okay, yes. I so, No, I, I think I, – I, I, I think you can make that case easy, easily to Kemba. You, like the Jazz are clearly, clearly, clearly much better off than the the Charlotte Hornets. Right. Yeah. I was. But are dis- they better off than the, uh, you know, uh, another team that may have that cap space? Are they better off than the the Brooklyn Nets that uh, you know also have two really good young stars and uh, although they're not as good as Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert um, and also will lose in the first round. You know, like I yeah. I, I think that's a that's a reasonable qu- question. Or do you say? You know, if if the case for going to the Jazz rather than the Knicks or the Lakers is, hey, you're more ready to compete right away, that's absolutely true. Yep. Um, but if you're talking about the level of competition that gets you to the second round or the third round rather than the third round or the, or the fourth round, i.e. the finals, then maybe, you know, your your priorities get a little bit different and you like the warm weather of L.A. and you want to act in movies or whatever. I don't, I don't know what Kemba wants, you know? Yep. Um, but those are those are kind of the things to think about. Um, the Clippers probably would have been a better example there than the Nets, but anyway, I'll uh, move along. Yeah, I, I, I do think it's interesting, and then, you know, as uh, and maybe the, the, this makes me a fatalist, but again, you look at the 28-5-point lead that Portland had, and, and it's like, or deficit that Portland faced. You're like, you know, it's it's one of those like butterfly effect things that can, can change a franchise forever. Ooh. Um <laughs> Yeah, so it goes. No, yeah, I I just think it's interesting to look at these franchises that consistently kind of like run back the same core and count on, you know, a combination of internal development of their returning players 
and then, you know, surrounding them with the addition of, like, you know, a few fringe pieces a la a Kyle Korver to kind of enable the team to take that next step. And sometimes it works, and, and lately, you know, we've seen a lot of it really not working. I mean, you, you hear Mike Conley's frustration speaking about the situation in Memphis where they made it to a Western Conference Finals, but they never really were able to kind of add the pieces to enable the Grizzlies to stay at that level or take the next step. Um, there's a lot of people talking about the Portland Trailblazers core. You know, they've been pretty consistently good with Dame Lillard and C.J. McCollum as their two centerpieces, uh, two straight years of the third seed in the West. Last year, that resulted in them getting swept in the first round. Uh, this year, I don't think – I mean, people were openly, like, rooting for the Jazz to face the Blazers because they were perceived as – being so potentially beatable. Yeah. Um, you know, and now here the Jazz are in this situation, and I don't know that it's entirely analogous because, you know, we're in the second season of, of Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert together as the core. But, you know, just given that it's been like a slow build over the course of seven, eight seasons going from a lottery team to, you know, putting together the pieces that comprise this franchise, and now all of a sudden if you take – what's perceived as a step back, people start to wonder. It's not are, a step are, back, though. Who's? Uh, I guess the step back is second round or first round here? Yes. Uh, yeah. Like, uh, and and uh, that's all right, simply all it amounts to. smarter than that. And I acknowledge that that's, you know, Everyone's I'm, I'm smarter than that. I don't know that everyone is. I uh, Like, everyone, like, okay, you can make the case that the Jazz have stagnated, and I'm fine with that. Yeah. I, I Like, to, for me, step back, I, I don't see it. Okay. I think the Rockets. Uh, I guess. I guess maybe back. in my estimation, it's splitting hairs there. You know, step back, stagnation. No, the I think that the matters. Point, the point, either way, is like they're not. They don't have the capacity, given the current roster, to take that next step, and to do well, right. what to do what they ultimately want to do, which is win a championship. I think uh, uh, the Jazz have all the opportunity in the world to shock shock me and, and the world, and you know, yeah. win the finals and. The, get the championship this year and blah, 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 but I don't think they will. Uh, and, and so, yeah, and, and until then, you're going to be looking to get that third star and improve the team. You know, but we, we will have plenty of time to get into all of uh, the team building stuff. Sure. Um, but anyway, uh, you brought up Memphis, so let's talk about one of the goofy NBA situations. As is uh, tradition on the day after the, the final game of the season, we have lots of coaches firings today. What has been surprising is is maybe they're not the ones you thought. Uh, Memphis getting rid of JB Bickerstaff after continuing to kind of fight in that in the second half of the season as like they had none of their players playing. And honestly, I think you can say that the Grizzlies may have surpassed expectations if if you are reasonable about your expectations this year. I'm not a huge believer in JB Bickerstaff as a coach, uh, but to fire him and to change around their front office, um, is, I don't want to say surprising. Okay, to fire J.B. Bickerstaff is surprising. That front office has been in disarray for uh, long enough that it, maybe it's not surprising. Yeah, right Chris Wallace it. is not uh, highly regarded. Um, but, yeah, it's it, it's harsh that J.B. Bickerstaff was let go because, yeah, I mean, by any reasonable estimation, he probably overachieved uh, given what he had. I mean, this was a team that, like, got rid of, most of it's a uh, good cast of players. You know, whatever they had, they got rid of Gasol. They wound up keeping Conley. Um, 
but they sold off like every just about everything else that was useful other than Jaron Jackson who was injured a lot anyway and didn't play a ton down the stretch. Um and yeah, they wound up they wound up being shockingly competitive down the stretch. Um yeah, so, not competitive in the the standing, but in the competitive in the games they played. After yeah, they were so nine and ten in their last. I, I guess it comes down to like, you know, it, it, this is harsh, but like, did he overperform? Given did he overperform expectations? Yeah, should that matter if you don't think he's like ultimately that good? That's I think that's probably yeah. what they're running into. And, and that I mean maybe they they decided that their new GM is going to be climbing, uh, and he doesn't like JB Bickerstaff as much as the old regime does, and, and maybe that's that. In, yeah, um, inevitably it, it seems inevitably it seems there. like a new front office regime wants to pick their own coach, and when that doesn't happen, when you when you keep an existing coach and then bring in a new front office staff, it seems like that's a recipe for. Uh, for not getting along, not that um, as a Lakers fan I can like relate to that at all, right? Whatsoever. Uh, well, okay. So that's surprising. Is Luke Walton still around? Luke Walton is still around because the guy who was going to fire him decided to like quit, uh, just and, randomly, you know. And we don't know where Jeannie Bus is or what she's doing. And and yeah, and, and honestly, you know, you don't have to fire your coach on the day after. There's no rules to say you do, but. Uh, these guys, again, according to the Adrian Wojnarowski report, uh, were very much expecting to be fired the, the minutes after the season ended, and yep. so they, they, they still persist. Proud of them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but such, such a I do think it's interesting then Sacramento fired uh, Dave, Dave Yeager. Yeager. Yeah. And that was the one that really surprised me, although surprise re- reading, well... Okay, it, it didn't surprise me given what we've read about Vlade Divac and really just kind of his paranoia about the need to consolidate power or whatever. Right. Vlade, Vlade Divac, the team president, gets a new contract extension. He hasn't got along with Dave Yeager. Uh, he hasn't got along with the assistant GM. And so empowered by this new contract extension, he's like, well, this is an opportunity for me to get rid of the assistant GM and to get rid of Dave Yeager in spite of the fact that at – the beginning of the season, everyone predicted Sacramento was going to be one of the two, three worst teams in the league, and instead, in he, West, he, he has them play, he changes their style, he has them play up-tempo, they're wildly successful by, you know, re- relative to what they've done the last number of years. They win, what, 39 games this year? Yep. And doesn't matter, Vlade doesn't like him, goodbye, Dave Yeager. So, I, I mean... It's unfortunate for him because, like, clearly he had a great season coaching that team, and yet if you don't get along with the GM, then, you know. Yeah, no, and, and uh, yeah, I, I so I guess that's why I wasn't surprised at all because, uh, well, to be honest, I had heard that that was such an ugly relationship at this point that it was just not, it was pretty clear that it was not going to continue. Um, but nevertheless, Dave Yeager was a successful coach this year who will probably find another job very quickly. Luke Walton uh, may be a <laughs> Rumored candidate to be the for next that Kings, Kings coach so, if he gets that's fired. That's fun. Uh, oh, and then Larry Drew was fired in Cleveland. Meh, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Uh, Igor still lives. Yeah, uh, that may be a thing where Robert Sarver is uh, simply too cheap to pay both a current coach and an ex-coach who had guarantees years left on his contract. Yeah. Or it could be a thing where there's still time. 
I, I hope they keep Igor for for obvious reasons. Maybe it, maybe it helps that uh, they wound up promoting James Jones. Is that his name? Yeah. To uh to from interim GM to just full time GM. I know they brought in a new team president or president of basketball yeah, operations Bauer, or Jeff whatever, Bauer. Jeff Bauer. Uh, I don't know what impact that has on it, but maybe I'm James curious. Jones being familiar with Igor already and having played some role in He has kind of an up hiring. and down history too cuz he was the he was running the the Pelicans for a while and obviously that hasn't been like brilliant either. So Yeah. Um yeah, what what he does and what they do is a is going to be interesting. But um yeah, I I, I mean I, I like the idea of having someone on top of James Jones and uh, I forget the name of their cap guy. But kind of that being a like reasonably solid uh, front office moving forward. I, I have no reason to like believe or not believe in James Jones. You know, like he's he's the former ex-player type, so it, it does seem like a weird hire to to immediately make him your general manager. But there's someone on top of him uh, helping in that capacity, making those decisions, and you know, I'm I'm fine with that. Do we want to do predictions? I don't want to do a prediction, honestly. Like I. Uh, if you if you no I, not, I, I, we are not doing predictions right now because, because we're going to save it for we've our got articles. predictions in this Sunday's Salt Lake Tribune NBA playoff preview. You can subscribe to the Salt Lake Tribune digital. We're doing a sale. We're doing a sale right now. Flash sale. Uh, we're doing a sale that will end this Sunday night. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, it ends this Sunday night. So you're going to want to jump on this. It's a playoff special. Uh, one dollar a week, fifty-two dollars a year for a digital subscription. That is really cheap. Um, yeah. I make more than one dollar a week, and even like more I than ten dollars a week. Why? And sometimes. so, like, we have to sell a lot of subscriptions in order to pay for me. Uh, so if you could, yeah, please subscribe. Um, yeah, go to www.sltrib.com/slash/subscribe <laughs> and click on Digital Unlimited. And then from there, yeah, buy yourself a digital subscription. Information is great. Andy's got a lot of it. I've got some of it. Um, between the two of us, it's a it's a lot, a lot of it. And it's <laughs> if I do say so myself, it's really great stuff. You don't want to get into the playoffs and find you know get sucked into this wormhole of information we're providing you on the Jazz and Rocket series, and then all of a sudden hit that paywall, and you're like, ah, oh, yeah. I'm so frustrated. I can't read about what's going on. Yeah, and, it, and it's not just us. We're going to have Chris Camarani doing some really awesome stories, too. Coming up, like, Joe Ingles, James Harden, Quinn Snyder. Uh, we've got, uh, I guess I just gave our competition our game plan, but it's fine. Uh, we've got some great columns coming up. We've got some, we're bringing in extra people to help cover the Jazz. That's where we are. Is We're going to do an eight-page wrapper of playoff preview magazine edition. I don't know what do you ever call it. Like section? Section's probably the best word. Yeah. Coming up this weekend for the playoffs. Like we are going all in on this. Uh and because it's we, we know it's what you want. So please subscribe at sltrib.com so slash subscribe. But for now Andy Larson, Eric Walden signing out this edition of the We love you for it.